Hi, this is Beat It with Joe, and you're listening to Joe Manford. The show is about mental health for athletes, coaches, and their support staff. This podcast is for athletes, up-and-coming athletes, and all those that are passionate about player wellness. As a Gallup Strengths Coach, Therapist, and Mindfulness Coach, I interview professional athletes, coaches, and those who are working with them. I believe that mental health is vital for performance. This includes the mental wellness of coaches, management, players, and their parents. So subscribe now and stay connected. My special guest today is once again Gareth Ewing, a former SA men's hockey coach. This is our third podcast in the series, and today we will be focusing on the stress response of high-performance personalities. This podcast is free, and you can support it by subscribing to the Beat It With Joe YouTube channel. And you can also support by subscribing and sharing this podcast on your social media platforms. So welcome, Gareth. Hello, Joe. Nice to see you again. Yeah, lovely to see you too. And thank you for joining me. And I really am excited to be talking about the high performance personalities and the highs and lows of working with high performance personalities and being a high performance personality. So I'm going to start with something that is relevant to South Africa today, which will just give you an example of where we're heading with this podcast. So we've recently just had the Cape Epic in Cape Town. And the Cape Epic, for those who don't know, is an eight-day grueling mountain bike ride. And it's under quite hectic conditions, weather-wise and terrain-wise. And it takes enormous preparation, sacrifice, and commitment. It requires goal setting, building a team around you, saving money, looking for sponsorship, finding a partner, having a training plan, having a nutritional plan, and sacrifices for yourself, uh, your work colleagues, and your family members. It becomes everything that you focus on, and sometimes everything that you talk about. And it's the only thing you really want to talk about and really want to do. You want to train, you want to eat, you want to watch YouTube videos, and you only want to talk about talk and hang around with like-minded people. Your day is consumed with whether you're able to train and your mood is affected if you are able to train or not able to train. And if for whatever reason you can't, it may affect those around you. If you get injured, um, then your training is interrupted and this also can affect your mood as this is taking away from your goal. I'm giving this example because it's, this happened a week ago. And I'm wondering how many of these athletes are feeling um, not only exhausted, but possibly a bit empty and disillusioned and maybe a bit emotional, like what now, what's next? For some, they may be feeling low and, um, and some may be even feeling a, bit of, feeling a bit depressed. So leading with that example, Gareth, I'd like to see if you can identify with anything that I've read from that, that story about the Cape Epic. If you as a coach can identify with it and if you can maybe share your journey. Yeah, Joe, actually, it's quite interesting you mentioned that as an example. I've spoken to a couple of people who did the Epic and despite them saying it's the worst weather and the hardest the Epic has probably ever been, they're already going after that initial relief of finishing. They're, they're already thinking about next year. So I think it's a, it's a really relevant example. And, and from my own experience, 
working with athletes going to pinnacle events like like the Olympics and the World Cup is there was a huge element of flatness and what next, what now, where am I in my life now that I've gone to this event that I've, I've dedicated so many years to. And for my own experience as well, there was coming back from it and thinking to myself, oh, well, was that it? Um, you know, was it all it was cracked up to be? You know, what am I going to do now, now that I've defined myself with this? And there was definitely a, a, a depression attitude and atmosphere around it. And it took a while for that to, to settle down. But again, of course, you start to think, well, what is next? And you start to find another target, you start to find another objective um, without actually giving yourself the chance to process and appreciate the experience that you've just gone through. So if I'm hearing you, it's a time that you spent on a high in an elevated state with like-minded people. So people who are similar to you, sharing the same journey to you, same goal as you. And then it's over. It doesn't matter the results. If it was happy, glad or sad, it's over. And now you return home to your family members. And that might seem a little bit boring with respect to everybody, but am I right? That feels quite real. It, it, it feels a bit boring and there's, there's lack of purpose and you might be grumpy with those around you. Very much so. And, and what happens is you feel protective of your experience. You, you feel like you can't share it with people because they're not going to understand anyway. They weren't there. Um, and these are things that are very unique to you and a few other people that you can maybe share those experiences and reflections with those people who are there with you. But you, you struggle to understand how you can even try to explain it to, to people at home. And I remember actually having, having lunch with my folks straight after I came back and they were so excited to hear news and stories about the village and whatever. And I was like monosyllabic because I was like, I don't want to tell you this. You're not going to get it. And it was a very selfish response, obviously, but it took me a long time to actually be able to tell people about it in a way that made it relevant to them and still reminding me that it was meaningful. So mm -hmm. there is this kind of, well, this was, this was too special and nothing is going to compare to it. And, and that was hard to, to get my head around for a while. I can only imagine what it's like for some of the athletes who, who actually win medals and what it's like for them to take that home. Um, and I think it's, it's similar with any big experience, any huge experience. And, you know, sport, sport is one that seems to be close to all of us, but there are much, much bigger things that have happened and people have come away from those with similar experiences and similar emotions. So yeah, it's it's an interesting and it's a difficult space. Well, I think um, in our previous podcast, we brought up things like self-awareness and self-care and mindfulness. And I think what's relevant here is to maybe plan the what if. So for example, so you've had all your purpose, you've had your goal, you've had 
a complete direction and purpose. If you haven't planned the what if, that high is quite steep for the, for the descent. And at least if there's a what if, and there's a, when I come back, no, I'm not going to be playing hockey or riding my bike or going to practice or anything like that. That's not part of the what if plan. But there is something that I plan to do. So there's not that nothing state. Do you think that as coaches, as mental coaches, you and I, that's something that we should maybe suggest to other people that would be helpful? 100%. Um, the, 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 the problem that comes with these peak experiences is that you can't, you struggle to compare it to daily life and you struggle to contextualize it as an episode in your life, but not your entire life. And stepping away from that, again, is you, everything is now, what is it? Comparison is the thief of joy. So you're comparing your day-to-day your -day experiences with those extreme unnatural experiences that most people won't ever experience. And everything else pales in comparison. And it's to remind ourselves and to remind the people we work with to appreciate the nuances of daily life and the specialness of being back with family, of having breathing space, of not having to wake up at four o'clock in the morning to go to gym, even if it's only for a few days, and to be comfortable and happy in that space because yeah. you we can't keep comparing ourselves to this, this pinnacle of existence all the time or basing our values of ourselves on that pinnacle of existence because that's an unnatural state. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up, the pinnacle of existence, because what's the opposite of the pinnacle? It's, it's really, it's really the, the bottom. So um, I'm going to bring in the comparison. I know you said don't compare, but I am to addiction because um, addiction is the feeling of something's not good enough. So it's the chasing the more and more. Um, and, and it might not only be a behavior, it might be thinking. So it's that, it is that obsessive thinking. It's the wanting, um, the, the more training, the more events, the more the high, they're chasing the high of that event all the time. And um, it's that inability to be in a satisfied norm state, should I, should I call it that? It's chasing external gratification because the internal world is unsatisfied and is turbulent. So if we look at professional athletes, because that's what we can look at, if for example, let's look at football players. They've got a lot of downtime. So they do their training and they've got their, um, their, their competitions during the week and their tournaments during the week, but there's a lot of downtime and travel time. So, and they've got a lot of money. So it's excessive money. And if they've got that addictive type of thinking, it can feed into gambling. And then they lose and they lose and they carry on it. And, it's, and the, the addictive type of thinking doesn't leave them. And it's bringing in the awareness. Um, yeah, and it's, I think you mentioned it before, it's, it's part of the stress spiral. 
and it's that lack of satisfaction. It's that either completely satisfied or completely dissatisfied. Can you identify with what I've said? Yeah, I can. And I think the, the aspect of, of addiction is, is important here for us to, to understand because you're chasing a high. So the high of competition is very hard to replicate in daily life in a healthy way. Um, you know, it may be that you become obsessed with exercise and, and getting that, that little adrenaline rush, but that again gets stale quite quickly. Um, and, and that's where kind of high risk activity comes into play. So gambling, um, you know, messing around behind your, your partner's back or something where there's a high consequence. And, and I think it's that consequence that it immediately triggers you in the high performance space because yes, it's, it's not life and death, it's just winning and losing, but there's so much attached to it and so much investment. And to find that environment where you're feeling part of a, a high consequence space, you, you've got to go sometimes find it in unhealthy places. So it does make a lot of sense. And, and also again, not being able to reflect because you get so involved in the process and so involved in that hit of dopamine that you can't reflect or look back on something and go, I should be happy with this. I should be satisfied with myself and I can afford to pat myself on the back for a job well done or pat my athletes on the back for a job well done because I'm already thinking, well, actually we weren't as good as we should have been and we should have done this better and we should have done this better and we're going to aim for that the next time and the next time starts now. So the breathing space is not there and there's no time to settle down. It's always chasing and chasing and chasing. And that's again, why this analogy around addiction is so powerful. And just before I continue with the addiction thing, you mentioned the dopamine. There's a, uh, there's a doctor called Dr. Andrew Huberman, and he's got this incredible podcast on the dopamine. He calls it a wave pool. So for a healthy dopamine secretion and and drop it's a it's a gentle wave pool and the waves are quite wide apart so it's the thought first what you desire and then it's what whatever that you whatever you desired you receive but it depends on what it is so if for example if my if i'm desired chocolate and i eat it my wave pulls quite the, 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 the high is quite low and then the drop is quite low if I'm after cocaine, for example, that spike is very high once I receive it, but the drop's even lower. What makes a huge difference too is how frequently you're getting your hit, whatever, you're, whatever it is that you're craving. And if that is too close together, that means you're going high, low, high, low, high, low. You're depleting your trough of dopamine. And therefore, we're never in a satisfied state because you're operating below your baseline and you're firing from a depleted state. And so there isn't, so there's always a desire for more and there's the chasing more and the chasing more and there's never a level of satisfaction. And then you get to that desperate state of, well, I think I need to control this because it, I feel out of control, but by the time you got to that state, it's in control of you. And that's when you know you've got to seek help and there's a desperate need. But I want to look at, we were talking about the high-performance personality traits. So I'm going to mention some of the positive ones, and maybe you can add some too. 
So if we look at the high-performance personality, it's a hard-working, dedicated person who is not scared of hard work. They put in the hours, they make sacrifices, so it might be social life or whatever it is, but, but their sport becomes, if it's their sport, it becomes their number one priority. And their focus, if done in a healthy way, is dedicated to that. If their focus is, is only that and there is, okay, um, if there's serious fallout in other parts of their lives, then it's become an unhealthy focus. But, so perseverance, risk orientation is definitely part of the high performance personality and that can go either way. They have got clear thinking, um, they're consistent, they're determined, they're meticulous, they have unbelievable focus. Um, what else could you add to that? I think I think there's an there's an enjoyment of being in the high consequence space, and there's this feeling of clarity and being in a being high functioning, being at your best when when the chips are down or when when it's time for the big game or the the big event, and there's this belief in your ability to execute, which which comes through. Um, and, and probably thriving with pressure. Yeah, thriving with pressure, very, would you say? Yeah, it's a very, yes, exactly. Thriving under pressure and, and a feeling of thriving. You know, everything just seems to be, I think we spoke about this in, in our earlier chats. It just, everything seems to be going in the right direction. Everything is just perfect. It's, you know, whether you want to call it flow or being in the zone or, you know, clarity of thought, clarity of action. It's all there, and it's a very rewarding, emotionally vibrant place to be. Okay. Okay, that's the positive side. So there are some negative traits that come with the high-performance personality, and one of them is the perfectionist. So obviously, in order to get a skill right, there needs to be perfection, like especially with um, my diver that I'm working with, with the golfers, there needs to be an element of perfection. Where it takes you out is if you are not open to criticism, constructive criticism, not open to other professionals or coaches or leaders or mentors guiding you because you think you know it all and you are the, the best, you know, you can, you're the only one who knows and also being inflexible. Now that's, as a perfectionist in a team, that's not a great it's fine to be a perfectionist, but to be inflexible in a team is not a great um, team member. Would you agree? I think I think when I when I consider when it starts to go wrong is that you lose that that self awareness and you lose an understanding of it all being a process and an, and and an inexact process. It's you know if you lose a game, you go back to the drawing board and you learn you learn and you grow but you can't see beyond where you are right now and you you beat yourself up um you you look to blame you you look to only externalizing find, you, you only find enjoyment in the success and not the process and it, that's if that's if you're lucky that you still find any enjoyment whatsoever you forget you forget your reason for ever picking up the hockey stick or the, the golf club in the first place 
and it and it becomes about the being chasing that experience rather than reminding yourself of a process and a journey so thank you for that because i've got another definition of addiction here in pursuit of pleasure okay so when something turns into addiction we can describe it as a process with the things you did enjoy they actually end up being less pleasurable so the very thing that you were after suddenly is not it becomes your yeah something you, you definitely don't like another thing selfish and self-focused now obviously when you're performing at a high level you need to be there needs to be a lot of but a lot of about me and self-focused but at what point do you think it becomes a negative trait or negative for success so i think i think there's two ways to look at it from the athlete's point of view self-awareness is good um and but becoming completely self-focused is not because then you can't see outside of yourself and you can't see your role in the bigger picture especially in the team sport from a from a coaching or leadership point of view again self-awareness is good and as soon as you but as soon as you make it too much about yourself then you are no longer serving your your athletes and that relationship is going to break down very quickly if you if you are constantly berating yourself or you're constantly blaming them where where can you still find joy and shared achievements or, or or joy in seeing them achieve when it's not actually about you so yeah. again for me it's really much about this awareness situation and understanding your state of mind in your performance space and understanding what you said is you know where does where does the enjoyment stop mm -hmm. I'm very sure that a, 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 an addict who's very deep in the hole from a substance abuse point of view doesn't actually enjoy getting high anymore. They are only doing it to find some kind of equilibrium to get them through the day. To shift the pain, to shift the feeling. Yeah. Um, Gareth, you mentioned you mentioned about um, not being about you or not being, you know, when it becomes too self-focused. And I do think at that point, it's about perspective. It's being able to just zoom out a bit and, and having a look at what the real problem is. So that's, that's one thing. And then another one, um, and this is a huge one for me, is a sense of entitlement and that rules don't apply to you. And so I want to I want to hear what you have to say, and then I'm going to link that to addiction, addictive thinking. Um, after you've after you've said what you want to say about that, I, it's a, it's an interesting concept, and I think we are all those of us privileged enough to achieve something in a high performance sporting space are ultimately grateful for what we've been given and for the opportunities that that have come our way even if we've had to work very hard to earn them and and what you say when that sense of entitlement comes in it's because you think well i've done the work i must now just get it and we lose the the perspective that it's that's not how our sport or life works and we we forget to be grateful for our gifts and for our opportunities and we we see it as well, I'm here now. I'm 
I must get this. And that's when we start to blame. We start to say, well, the umpire made a bad decision or the administrators are against us or my teammates are not on the same page as me or these the opponents are cheating or or whatever it might be. And we actually, again, it, it's, it's all part of a loss of perspective and a loss of awareness of the situation. Everybody has a right to win. Everybody has a right to compete. But nobody has a right to, to just get it on a platter. And, yeah. and it becomes this, again, it becomes this aggressive, ungracious space that is not an enjoyable place to be. Totally. And it takes the focus off the goal. And in yeah. hockey, it's like literally the goal. So my take on the sense of entitlement and rules don't apply to me. It's, it's if we look at Oscar Pistorius, for example, and, and if we look at any sports person and their support team around them or any alcoholic or any addict, it's often the team around them that enables them to be the entitled addict. Okay. So, with Oscar, he had managers, he had, he had um, coaches, he had people around him that covered for him. So when there was the boat accident, when there was the gun going off, when there was, everything was covered for him, which enabled him to continue the bad behavior that he was, that arrogant bad behavior that went on. So that's why I'm saying that entitled above it all, rules don't apply to me often the athlete thinks, the, the professional thinks that's the same. And it, it, it's the negative trait. It's the negative trait that this is my list of achievements, therefore I'm entitled to the next thing. And it's not a healthy state of mind to be in. It's still about learning to take responsibility for your actions. It's taking responsibility for your part in the team, whatever it is, if you've let them down or you've scored the goal or whatever it is, is taking your responsibility and not externalizing. You spoke about externalizing. It's not about blaming. Yeah, and it's it's an unregulated state, isn't it? It's um, whether you want to call it self-awareness or self-regulation, you, you believe that things don't apply to you. So that means you don't have to regulate yourself and you don't have to be a good person or you, 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 you don't have to just be yourself in a positive way you you think that nothing you there are no consequences so you you become you know a difficult person to be around and and what i think i said in one of our earlier chats as well is a an unregulated coach is not going to be able to regulate his players and if the if yeah. the, the coach is in that entitled space he is very un, or she is very unregulated and the players are going to pick up on that and it's going to become a a, a, a cycle of dysfunction totally because i i don't know if i i spoke to you about this or asked you when we were doing the podcast but if how do you think the energy of an unregulated coach impacts the the team and, and i'll give you and, and i just if you i'm just thinking about there's a coach here um and she is completely wild on the side of the pool, water polo pool, jumps around, screams, carries on, swears, and it's at school level. And my concern is that the youngsters of today might find that cool. And mm -hmm. I'm, I just, I just, I'm not sure 
what they t- she's teaching them or if it's a positive thing or I don't know what would your take be on that look I think it's a mistake we we all make um, unfortunately that acting out that being unregulated it's where's your energy going is your energy going towards performance and and the betterment of your athletes or is your energy just going up in the air and being wasted on your antics Um, definitely something I was very very guilty of and it's always there if I'm not careful but again it's about being aware of yourself and being able to regulate so yeah find find the balance and find the energy when it's time to accelerate and time to maybe be a little bit more vocal if you're always there where are you going to go from there you can't yeah. go up anymore. Okay. But just as you said, when you're in that accelerated space and you're over-emotional, what is it like if the coach is a bit bland or unemotional or quiet? How, how would that impact the, mm. the team? So, so this, is, this is something that, that you know, is, is important to understand because it, it's the same. I mean, if, if you listen to a guest speaker and they're talking and it's at a monotone and there's no elevating of pitch or, or slowing down or speeding up or whatever it might be, you, you stop engaging. Okay. And the coach is also going to stop engaging if, if they can't fluctuate a little bit. There's got to be some margin for up and down because we're human beings. And if you try to stamp on it too much for yourself internally, that's, again, your energy is going in a place that is not helping. Mm. And that energy will eventually run out. So for me, it's, it's finding that balance. And again, this is something I've battled with and wrestled with knowing when to pick it up, knowing when to slow it down. It's like, it's like dialing something on a, on a dialing up the volume and dialing the volume down again. It's, it's important but, that it's a skill. It can be learned but, and it can be applied mindfully. But I think you've got the self-awareness to know that now. You know, when you're in a bad space, say you're in a space of depression or burnout or, or complete fatigue, the energy to pick yourself up to motivate a team isn't there. But once you've done the work, once you've done the self-awareness, once you've slowed down, once you've take, taken cognizance of what's helping you thrive and what's helping, well, not help, what is unhelpful and making you the worst version of you. Um, my advice, and I'd love to hear your advice, is because I'm, people are thinking, okay, they're throwing out all the problems here. Like, what can we do to, to improve or to maybe we, we, we've got high-performance children. How do we turn them down or build them up? Or how do we support them? Or coaches are thinking, listen, I'm either too up or too down. Or how do... and, and we've spoken about self-awareness a few times here. Journaling is a start for me. Journaling daily, like even just the start of a sentence, like I'm the best version of myself when so that people can just start to become aware of this is what I look like when I'm thriving and maybe another little line of what does the worst version of myself look like? And, And my advice is if people can't even do that, then have the conversation with people around you for them to be able to be honest to say, 
this is what you look like when you're fantastic and, and you are in your zone. And this is when you're less optimal. 100%. Sorry, my, my, my phone rang there. Um, I also think there's, there's an interesting aspect to that because, sorry, I've completely lost my train of thought. Can we just stop? Sorry, I think Rob. I agree with you about the journaling aspect. It's been very powerful for me because what it does is it pulls you back in towards yourself and makes you reflect. And actually physically writing is important. I know that I know that some people don't love to write. And I think in the 21st century, writing something on paper doesn't happen as regularly as it used to. But actually writing it physically makes a big difference because again, it's an action. It's different to typing or dictating. Now, trust me on that one. Just try it. But the whole thing about self-care is what's important because understanding your emotional response to a situation, understanding your elevated state, and, and knowing how and when to pull it back, whether you're pulling it back with a keyword or a, um, an anchoring action, you know, fingering a charm or you know, um, having a word that your assistant coach says to you when he can see or she can see that you, you're drifting out of, out of line. These things are important, but it's, it starts with taking care of yourself. And we as coaches are always thinking about others, but we need to be able to think about ourselves yeah. at the same time, because if we are out of sync Everything else is going to be out of sync as well. So it's and it's it's also understanding when you're up, and then when you need to come down again, and finding your yeah. way to come down again. You know, I've I've just um, done this red to blue coaching, and and they talk about a redhead. So the redhead is when it's loud in there, and the pressure's on, and there's lots of self negative self talk and all that, and. The, the, the mantra word could just be redhead. I'm in a redhead space. It's just loud and, and it's like a snow globe in there. And you're wanting to go to a blue head, which is clarity. And, and it's just acknowledging those pressure or in a journal state, just acknowledging that that went wrong and, and I lost it there or I could have done better there. Um, just having that awareness and acceptance of it allows you to choose which direction you're going to go from there. Um, yeah, but I think journaling to me is just the first step to self-awareness and it, it's just about getting your thoughts down and maybe the writing will flow do you agree once you start writing the, the it, it can flow yeah. <clears throat> absolutely and and for me as well there are other aspects to this you know don't berate yourself um being having setting standards for yourself is fine berating yourself is really just again your, your energy is going in the wrong place and it's you're not blaming others, but now you're blaming yourself. And what's yeah. what's actually worse? Um, yeah. And and just being yeah, you know, being generous with yourself. Um, you're human. You make mistakes. And yes, you carry the can if you're one of those high performance people. But it's not life or death. It, it yeah. really isn't. And to keep that, maintain that perspective. And going back to what I said right at the beginning is appreciating normality normality can also be special yeah and therapeutic and i think we should we should end on that is 
it might be discovering your normality. Mm. It might be discovering your normality because as a high performance personality type, you're always on the push. It's always striving and striving for more and more and more. And I'm not saying that's a negative thing, but it is a negative thing if it's going to take you out when, because that, 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 that pump eventually runs out, doesn't it? It's, it's being able to take your foot off the accelerator for a bit, just so you can replenish the pot, get perspective, reload, and off you go. Being, being in your high performance, high functioning state is, goes back to primal survival mechanisms. You weren't supposed to be up there for hours and hours and hours. You were meant to be up there until you didn't have to be up there anymore. And then you settle down again and you rested and you replenished because it takes more energy to be in that space and that cycle of stress where you're just going around and around and around than it is to know you're in it, accept that you're in it, embrace that you're in it and relax when you come out of it. Don't, don't yeah. think that that's the ultimate space. The ultimate space is not that. That is what you need when the chips are down. What you need in real life is to be able to be high functioning in a healthy space. And, and, and with other people as well. Yes, other, other normal people, let's call it. <laughs> Garrett, thank you so much. I think that was invaluable information and, um, and I look forward to chatting to you again. Joe, thanks very much. It's been lots of fun. So if you would like to sponsor a podcast, please email j-o-l-l-o-y-d at t-e-r, the number four, m.co.za. And the Beat It with Joe podcast is for general information only and does not constitute the practice of psychology, psychiatry, dietetics, and other health professionals. Thank you for joining us.